This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Happy Monday and happy Valentine's Day to all who observe. Maybe it's happy Galentine's Day or Broentine's Day. I don't know if that's a thing, but it could be a thing. And that's cool, too. Jack and I recorded this episode, uh, I think back in like November, and we were just like, no, this, this episode cannot come out until Valentine's Day. So we have been sitting on this for a while, and we are so excited to bring you Dr. Helen Fisher. She is Match's chief scientific advisor and a sex scientist, and we talk through so many things <laughs> about relationships, relationships in healthcare, dating trends, and <laughs> y'all are just going to love her. Jack and I are obsessed. I was supposed to be in New York City and we were going to try and meet up with her so we could actually meet and become friends in real life um, because she's honestly just the coolest woman ever. So without further ado, I am so excited for y'all to meet Dr. Helen Fisher. Welcome to the WOMED, Dr. Fisher. Helen, we're so excited to have you on. I know Jackie is really excited to throw me under the bus with all my relationship issues. Um, I cannot (laughs) wait. Danielle has the most bizarre and interesting relationship history and... Sorry, we're already going to start. Danielle is still single somehow, this magical woman. (laughs) And so we are really excited. I am personally very excited to dig into her relationships stuff today. It's going to be great. (laughs) But Dr. Fisher, your history just fascinates me. I've I know Jackie and I have both been kind of doing some deep dives and reading through your website, but... How did you kind of get started in this field of of anthropology? Like what drew you to the science of of relationships and and how people attract each other? It's so interesting because, you know, I mean, I really, I do study love. And uh, we are the first to put people in brain scanners and study the brain circuitry of it. And as you know, I've written a lot of books about it. And, you know, people always say, well, why is it that you got into this? You must have had a bad love affair in teenage. Well, bottom line is nobody gets out of love alive. We all have our problems. But bottom line is, first of all, I'm an identical twin. and So is Jackie. Yeah. Oh, really? An identical twin. Identical. Yes. Okay. Oh, well, yes. good. To, good to, it's it's it's. It, I've had a lot of fun with it. Have you? Oh my. Yes. Honestly, as we get older, I we had a lot of fun when we were young. As I get older, I definitely appreciate it for a lot of different reasons now. As we get older, but yes, yeah, I, it's and, amazing. And same. I mean, here I'm a lot older than you guys, and uh, it's fun to be walking along with her. I mean, she knows what my life was like when I was four years old or yeah. 14 years old. I mean, she knows, you know, my first boyfriend, et cetera. And, you know, I mean, we don't live in a small village anymore where everybody knows your background and everything. And we're really 
a walking billboard of who we are. We've got to, you know, got to show everybody who we are because nobody knows. Anyway, the bottom line is I got into it because I always loved anthropology because it explained things. It's always explained more to me than psychology, even sociology. But um, and it's a very broad field that, you know, sociology, psychology, biology, uh, it can is all involved. But the bottom line is I went to graduate school in in anthropology. And um, at that time, everybody believed that all behavior was learned, that the brain was an empty slate in which environment inscribed personality. And I knew as an identical twin that that wasn't true, that there was reasons that my twin sister and I always liked the same kind of food, really liked the same kind of jokes, really liked the same kinds of boys, et cetera. And so I thought to myself, okay, if everybody in the world thinks that all behavior is learned, and I don't agree with that. Is there any part of human behavior that must have evolved? And I thought to myself, the one thing that must have evolved uh, is our reproductive behavior, because, you know, as Darwin would have said, if you have four children and I have no children, you live on and I die out. So the bottom line is love matters. It, it, it not only matters to the future of the individual, but really to the future of the species. And so I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to study love. I really am going to enjoy listening to you just speak <laughs> on this podcast. Thank you. You're currently working with Match.com trying to help people find love, use your talents and, and years of research in, in this. Online dating is so tricky. It's really frustrating for me because I feel like I get to the point where I'm like, nope, seen you before. Swipe, swipe, mm-hmm. swipe. You have a guitar. Nope, red flag. <laughs> swipe. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. How do you help match people? Uh, uh, well, well, I'll tell you. But first of all, you are doing the classic wrong thing. It's standard. You know, I, the one thing, uh, there's two things that I say if you're going to use these sites. Um, and one of them is think of reasons to say yes instead of no. And there is a huge brain region linked with- Danielle, write call. that one down. I'm writing that down because that's just really beautiful <laughs> yeah, anyway. Think, think of reasons to say yes. Bottom line is there's a huge brain. Are both of you nurses- Yes. You both nurses? Okay, so you really know biology. I really admire nurses, by the way. I really admire nurses for many reasons, which I could tell you. But the bottom line is there's a huge brain region linked with what they call negativity bias. The brain is built to remember the negative. So because for millions of years, you know, it's nice to remember who you uh, who likes you. But if you don't remember who doesn't like you, you could die. So the bottom line is we are built to remember the negative. And and a good example, let's say you walk into a party, everybody's really nice to you, everything's fine. And one person says during the course of the whole evening, have you gained a little weight? What do you do? You That's the one thing you remember. You remember the negative. And right. so when you go into these dating sites and you don't know anything about somebody, you have very few data points. He's got a guitar. Oh, she likes cats and I like dogs. And immediately that negativity bias steps in and say, eh, not going to work. You've got to overlook the negative. I call it uh, positive illusions. The ability to overlook what you don't like about somebody and focus on what you do. And as a matter of fact, we put a group of uh, people who were married long-term. They were married in 
average of 21 years. You put him into the brain scanner. They all kept saying, well, I'm still in love with her. I'm still in love with him, not just loving, but in love. And in fact, um, then we looked at the brain regions. We had them take a lot of questionnaires. And those people who reported that they were extremely happily in love, not just in love, but happy. And we looked at the brain regions that are active among people who are extremely happy in their relationships. And one of the three main regions was a brain region with the ability to overlook the negative. Activity in this brain region for negativity bias reduced. Wow. So at any time in a relationship, in the beginning, Danielle, when you're looking at that guy, Forget it if he's got a guitar. He might, it might be his brother's guitar for God, you know, all you know. Uh, and, uh, or he might be, you know, I mean, he might like Beethoven rather than, I don't know, whoever who's very current. So unless it's a real, you know, I mean, you don't want to spend your, your reproductive time on something that doesn't work. Uh, you, you do have to, you know, uh, uh, and we are picky. And we're picky, mm-hmm. picky for a reason. I mean, we're looking for a mating partner. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you don't want to spend your whole life making mistakes. So anyway, try to overlook the negative uh, if you can. I'm just curious, building off of that, do you have any insight on on why certain people are able to do that more? Is that something that we're inherently kind of born with or something that I'm sure it's a combination of both, but are there like certain meditations or practices that people can do to kind of build that muscle in their brain? You two are smart girls. It's not, <laughs> nobody's asked it quite that way. Yes. First of all, um, being aware of, of what you're doing wrong can be of great use. There's no question about it. We can change. Can we change a lot? And here's the thing. So when Match, as Danielle asked, you know, I started in on Match with Match uh, in 2005, I mean, a long time ago, 16 years ago. And they asked me, why do you fall in love with one person rather than another? Well, there's all kinds of cultural reasons. You know, we tend to fall in love with somebody from the same background, same general level of intelligence and good looks and education, somebody with the same religious and social values, some with somebody with the same reproductive and economic goals. Your childhood plays a role. But I began to think, you know, you can walk into a room and everybody's from your background and level of education and good looks, and you don't fall in love with all of them. So here, Jackie, I'm trying to work into the answering your question here. Um, I began to realize, and I've now been able to prove, that we've evolved four very broad styles of thinking and behaving linked with the dopamine, serotonin, testosterone, and estrogen systems in the brain. And so you ask, well, can we change what we're looking for? Well, people who are very high on the dopamine scale, people who are uh, creative, curious, uh, energetic, mentally flexible, a risk-taking, novelty-seeking. Are they going to really be attracted to somebody who wants to stay home and watch TV all night, uh, doesn't want to leave town, uh, sees no reason to go to Europe, uh, doesn't want to try new food, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera? Probably not. So we do have parameters. We do have personalities, and and those personalities uh, drive, uh, make us drawn to certain people rather than others. And so, sure, we can change, but I'm not going to change a lot. I mean, for example, I am uh, enormously curious. I have one friend in my life. For 15 years, every time I've met this guy for dinner, we're just friends. 
He goes to exactly the same restaurant, exactly the same restaurant. And I think to myself, what would it have been like to marry this guy? He's only been to Europe once and it was to see family. You know, I've been to 111 countries. I, I, I really couldn't do that. Uh, so the bottom line is, sure, we can change, but we are drawn to certain kinds of people, not only for cultural reasons, I think for also biological reasons. Do you think that has anything to do with the saying opposites attract? I mean, there's something familiar and like comforting and anxiety reducing about having like one place that you always go to, right? I'm not, I'm not saying like, love to try different places. <laughs> I've been to a lot of different <laughs> countries too, but I can kind of relate. I feel like, especially after the pandemic, you know, things that, things that bring you comfort and like, maybe you're rewatching a show. Maybe you consistently order this one dish from one restaurant because it brings you comfort and like a set of a sense of peace too. Absolutely. You know, we've evolved these four basic styles of thinking and behaving and people were very high on the testosterone scale analytical, logical, direct, decisive, tough-minded, good at things like engineering or math or computers or music. They're drawn to their opposite. Uh, I've dated on 40,000 people. They're drawn to their opposite. They are, uh, they're drawn to people who are high estrogen, people who are- um, More negotiators? Yes, negotiators. You guys understand the words. Great, thank you. I call the high testosterone directors and I call the high estrogen uh, negotiators. These people are, you know, they see the big picture. They think long-term, they're imaginative. They're good at with people. Uh, they're good at reading posture, gesture, tone of voice, and they're empathetic and trusting. And it's my guess. Have either of you taken my questionnaire? I did. I'm a negotiator. Yes, I, <laughs> I, was say. I tried to find the questionnaire, but I read through the four and I actually don't know if I'm a negotiator. I think I'm the, what, Dr. Fisher, which is the one that you were describing yourself, the creative and, um, yeah. Like very imaginative. And explore. That one, explore it. That, I had um, like 62% in that one, 85%. Like. See, I think the explorer <laughs> would be my, um, would definitely be my, my top one, if but, I were to guess. And that's the point, because we are all, all four of them. We are all four of them, all of us. I mean, that's where a lot of these personality questionnaires get, get us wrong, because we really aren't this or that, you know. And my guess is that you're both explorers, and I am too. And that you're both negotiators, and I am too. I, I began to notice that the last time we were trying to work this thing out. Because you kept apologizing, you're very sweet, you didn't want to take my time. You know, that's a, that is part of the negotiator. But you're both curious, or you wouldn't want to be talking to me for this morning. So bottom line <laughs> is, uh, I mean, for me, I'm very high on the dopamine scale. Uh, explore, and I'm very high on the negotiator scale, nauseatingly so. I, I feel everybody's <laughs> pain. I, you know, I'm much lower on testosterone. I regard myself as logical and fair. Those are both traits in the testosterone system. But I mean, I could get lost in the bathtub. I mean, I have no sense of direction. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not good at math. <laughs> I don't see the structure of music. I just swing to the beat, et cetera. And I have almost no serotonin in me. I don't follow the rules unless they make sense to me. Uh, not at all stubborn, very mentally flexible. I'm not traditional, et cetera, et cetera. So the right. bottom line is we're all a combination of, of all of them. But we have personalities and we have some more than others. So in general, would you recommend that people look for partners that have those similar systems? Is there a balance that, sh that like, just in your, in general, would you say? 
what I found in studying 100,000 people, actually, uh, explorers go for explorers. People who are energetic, curious, creative, spontaneous, want a partner like themselves. Mm-hmm. People who are very high on the serotonin scale, what I call builders, not a great term, probably should have called them guardians. But anyway, traditional people go for traditional people. Mike Pence is a perfect example. Mitt Romney is a good example. Traditional goes for traditional okay energetic exploring goes for that. And in the last case, um, high testosterone goes for high estrogen and high estrogen goes for high testosterone. I mean, for example, my new husband, I uh, got married last year. Congratulations. Um, thank you, thank you. At age 75, so don't give up. <laughs> Actually, I, no, no. Well, you guys are young and beautiful. But the, I mean, I could have married a lot of times and chose not to. But anyway, the bottom line is my husband and I are both high dopamine. That works fine. We travel all the time. He's hilariously funny. He's, you know, uh, so we're both high dopamine. That works fine. He's high testosterone. I'm high estrogen. That works fine too. He's higher though on serotonin. He follows the rules. And I I remember one night we were going to the movies and I said to him, I said, sweetie, uh, do you have any water in your backpack? And he said, yeah, I do. And I said, well, we can drink it in the movie house. She said, no, we can't. You can't bring food or drink into a movie house. You've got to <laughs> buy it at the concession stand. I said, oh, really? <laughs> oh, my goodness. But the beauty of that is he, I like that in him. I'm not that way. Mm-hmm. But he, that guy's going to be faithful to me. He follows yes. me. He's going to be faithful to me anyway. I trust him totally. But the bottom line is, I, I mean, he stops at stop signs that in the middle of the night when there's nobody on the road and we're in the middle of a rural place where there's not even a bicycle or a dog he stops at that i'll slow down but he stops a dead stop so anyway the bottom line is the value of all this is understanding who your partner is and it's not all about me you know everybody says oh well he's he's just trying to bug me or something no 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 it's who he is and then you begin to use a workaround or you begin to appreciate what somebody is instead of, you know, instead of blaming them. Right. Wow. So beautiful. I think that that's a great, great point to kind of pivot a little bit and talk about your most latest research regarding the pandemic and the, the, the changes that you have seen in the data and with relationships and things that people look for. Danielle and I read through the studies and have already discussed it and it, find it extremely fascinating. So can you just start to kind of dive into what you found? Absolutely, because it's just, it blew, blew my mind too. Well, first of all, you know, this is our annual Singles in America study. We do this annually. Uh, I do it with Match uh, in August or whenever it's going to be. We, we compose about uh, 200 questions, myself and Justin Garcia, who I invited in to do this. And he's a great young guy. Uh, head is, of he the Kinsey Institute. is he single for Danielle? <laughs> yes, he is, Danielle. Yes, he is. All right. And he's the coolest guy on the whole Now, planet. is he a dopamine is he a serotonin he's dopamine he's dopamine and he's got a lot of estrogen i mean he's he's hilariously he's charming i'm telling you i'm going to introduce you i am here we go i'm a tall girl he's tall he's tall uh he's 36 i don't know maybe that's too old for you i think it's meant to be how old are you 36 you're 36 he wants to have children 
Oh my um, God, Dr. Fisher. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you have him on the, your podcast? You'll start there and see what you think of him. I love oh, that idea. idea. I okay. love this okay. idea. He's really, I, I, he's a, he's like a brother for me because he's so, and he's very, very smart, but he's also extremely charming Ugh. and he's mentally flexible mm-hmm. and, uh, no, he's a real cool guy. I, I have him on the podcast to side then. All right. Okay. Side note. I'm, I, we're defi- I'm what, definitely not going to forget about, about this. To deep, do- deep stalk him. <laughs> good. Very good. Oh, I'd be, I'm going to tell him when we get off the phone. But anyway, the bottom line is, uh, so I invited him. So there's four of us, Amy Kennedy at uh, Match and, and others and myself. And we cook up about 200 questions every year that we want to ask to singles. Now, singles, it's one third of the American population. It's a lot of people. This is a national representative sample of singles based on the U.S. Census. We do not poll the Match members. So it's real science. And um, every year we uh, ask, well, I, we got the right number of blacks, whites, Asians, Latino, gay, straight, uh, queer, rural, suburban, urban, every part of the country, et cetera, et cetera. So it's real science. And um, this year we were able to collect the data on over 5,000 people. We do that every year. So we got data now on 55,000 Americans over the last 11 wow. years. Wow. And um I know. And so we were able to compare. Anyway, this year we saw found something that was the most exciting of anything. And that I'm, I'm calling it post-traumatic growth. You know, we're always hearing about the disasters oh. and there certainly have been disasters. But the bottom line is singles have grown up. What singles want now is somebody who um, matches their income, actually, who matches their level of education who has a successful career and who wants to marry. Only 11% of singles today just want a casual date. A great, over 60% want to settle down. They want to do it within the next year. And men are leading the way Uh, in one study. And one of the questions we asked is, well, do you want a partner who wants to get married? In two years ago, uh, 58% of singles said, yes, I want a partner who wants to get married. This year, 76% uh, said they wanted a partner who wants to get married. And men more than women. Men are leading the way. So it's a very good time to find the right man or woman and and settle in. Go men. (laughs) Go men. Oh, I got a lot more to say, but I don't want to do it. (laughs) It's it's so funny because we've been almost conditioned as women to expect that it takes men so much longer to mature. And we've made these excuses for boys being boys and, and you almost have to uh, push down like the primal want, like a, a lot of women, you know, I'm trying not to generalize. I'm especially speaking to myself have felt that, you know, if you tell someone you're out on a date with, like, yeah, in the future, I want to have kids. I want to be a mother someday. And you have to be very careful of what you say because guys will be like, oh, God, she wants to lock me down and have kids right now. You know, yeah. it's like, that doesn't mean I want to have kids with you, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Chill. But so it's neat seeing that men are starting to embrace that shift more. I also thought it was. I I loved the 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 line in the study that said stability is the new sexy. Yeah. 
because after, I mean, Jackie knows you, you're not aware. I've have a, a lot of dating trauma and stuff in my, in my past. And all I'm looking for now is someone that I feel safe and stable with. You know, I want someone that is passionate and wants to explore and like do all these things and like live a very full life with me. But I need someone that's safe. <laughs> that's uh, we all stable. want somebody who's safe. We all want yeah. somebody who's uh, safe and, and stable. And, uh, and you're going to find it. You're much too yeah. young, you're much too pretty, and you're much too smart, and you got a good career. It, you know, that's what I keep <laughs> telling her too. I know. Yeah. Well, I, I know can't wait things. to hear. Uh, but just just to say generally, men fall in love We've got data over 11 years. Plus, I've got a lot of academic data, too. Men fall in love faster than women. They fall in love more often than women. When they find somebody who they are in love with, they want to introduce that person to friends and family sooner. They want to move in sooner. And men have more intimate conversations with their partners than women do because women have their intimate conversations with their girlfriends. Wow. Uh, so the bottom line is, yeah. Uh, so actually men are the fragile sex. Uh, and if you were to, I want to hear about your, uh, issues here because it's, I'm sure this, the issues of many people, but I bet if you went around the world and, and well, men are more likely to kill themselves two and a half times more likely to mm -hmm. kill themselves mm -hmm. when a relationship is over. So, uh, and I, that's not match data. And we study, you know, living single people, but yeah. the bottom line is, uh, uh, men are very fragile and, it's very interesting. One of our years, we we asked a lot about, you know, one night stands and all that. Men are much more likely to regard a one night stand as a means to build a longer partnership hmm. than women are. We really don't understand men in this society. But you know what? We don't understand women either. I we like that Do guy that you said. Men understand themselves. <laughs> Does anybody understand themselves? I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, I think we, I mean, some people don't care. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, I'm not positive I really care. I'm very high dopamine. I look out, not in. I mean, I want to make an, I want to understand myself. To, I don't want to make a huge number of mistakes in my life. I mean, we do learn from them, hopefully. But I think some people are more preoccupied with, with who they are. I, I'm more preoccupied with why people do the things they do. I'm basically an anthropologist, but uh, I do think it's valuable to be able to work on a relationship. As a matter of fact, a part of this great reset that we're talking about, uh, this year in our Singles America study with Match, we found, we're calling it the great reset. What we're finding is that 66% oh, of singles today, this is the middle of the pandemic, care more about uh, uh, their mental health, mm -hmm. uh, care more about uh, their physical health, seem to be better at relaxing, are getting more sleep, are gaining self-confidence, uh, and are better at unplugging from social media. Uh, they're also better at managing their time and managing their money. So it's the part of this growing up. And I think, Danielle, uh, you're going to find uh, somebody who's grown up, who's grown up. And if it isn't Justin Garcia, which I hope it is, because then I'll see a lot of you. <laughs> uh, it's going to be, they're growing up. The bad boys are gone. The bad girl's gone. And the reasoning for that, I mean, it, I, I would imagine it has to be because, um, you know, we've all been stuck inside for a year and a half at this point. 
it kind of forces you to take a long, hard look in the mirror. And in the back of your head, I would imagine it's like, God, if this were to ever happen again, who do I want to be with when the world shuts down? Who do I want to sit on my couch with? Who do I want to go through a crisis with? Um, and it's kind of a beautiful thing. Like it's, you know, the pandemic has brought so much pain and hurt and, and trauma. You know, Danielle and I are both nurses, so we could go on and on. And so we're just going to table that for now. But it's really a beautiful sentiment, I, I think, to, to kind of come out of the pandemic. I love the fact that you said that, because the thing is, everybody's so involved in the trauma that I've worried with this data. Are people going to accept something that good has happened? Mm. And something good has happened. And that is, yes, we've all grown up. We have grown up post-traumatic growth. I mean, since when? In four million years, nobody's ever shut down the planet. And this has gotten everybody to realize what they've got, what they don't have, what they want, and how they're going to get it. We've really all grown up and appreciated more of what we've got and realized what we don't have. And, I, and men are leading the way. I'm crazy about millennials. I mean, you guys are really, first of all, you don't suffer fools gladly, as Shakespeare would have said, you know, did say. Uh, you know, um, you've invented that term, uh, DGR, define the relationship. I mean, you want to know where things are going. You guys will have your one night stand, but if it doesn't work out, you're, 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 it's history. You move on. And what I'm really seeing in, in your generation, well, first of all, you've really gotten into video dating and that's cool because First of all, you can fall in love. In our study this uh, this year, 78% of singles who went on a video date um, said that they did feel some romantic chemistry, which is totally possible. I mean, I study the brain. It's a brain system. You can get angry on a video. You can get sad on a video. You can get scared on a video, and you can fall in love on a video, and they are. Yeah. But what's nice about these video dates, and you guys are, are the ones that are doing it, is um, sex is off the table. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to decide whether you're going to kiss and hug. You're, it's a video date. You don't have to decide. Money's off the table. And 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 what's going on is when I polled you uh, this last year and this year, you're having more meaningful conversations. You're having more self-disclosure, and that's men as well as women. You're um, uh, less involved in looks. Um, uh, you're more interested in somebody who's got a fully employed and who is stable, mm. as Danielle said. Somebody mm -hmm. I want, somebody stable, and who I can, you know, trust and confide in, et cetera. So, and this video dating is is enabling people to get to know somebody before the first date. So I do think we're going to have fewer first dates because you can event the people, get rid of what you don't want. But when you go out on a first date, it's going to be a much more meaningful. You're going to know by now, oh, yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't mind holding her hand. I wouldn't mind giving him a kiss. I wouldn't mind spending a little bit more money. I like this person. Mm -hmm. So uh, you are introducing this new stage in the courtship process called video dating. And it's a mm -hmm. very healthy one. I definitely experienced that during the pandemic. It didn't end up panning out because he was on the other side of the country. But we were definitely video dating for about, 
month and a half, two months. And then we were like, I don't know. That ended. But why did it, it end? Was, an ex-girlfriend came back into the picture. Oh. So, yeah. And he's oh. like very torn up about it. Very, you know, but he's like, I don't know what to do. Like, I want to meet you. I want to see you like I'm talking to my I don't know what to do I was like well sounds like if you don't put this one to bed like figure out yeah. if, like one then I don't want to always be in a relationship with you wondering about someone right. else so well, I love this advice for Danielle I hope Danielle you are taking a lot of notes um, I, I have pages <laughs> I'm loving this advice for you but I want to kind of keep diving into Danielle's dating history sorry oh, Danielle good so, By the way, Danielle, first of all, I think you'll be back. Okay. I, I need to hear more, but there's something okay. in me that, that, I mean, I don't know if you're going to want him back, but sorry, Jackie, sorry. Interesting. You want want the video guy back? No, I think you, I think that, did you like him a lot? Oh, I definitely did a, a lot, but he's also, I don't know. I think he, you'll get- He might he, be talking to someone now, I don't know. Well, how did- uh, how did the, he and that girlfriend break up? She broke up with him. And why is it an ex-girlfriend that went back to him? I don't know all the details on that. I know that they got back together. They broke up. He started chatting with me a little bit again and then kind of died off. And I saw that he was in Italy with another girl. Oh, so, wow. But Forget like that it. was back in June. A third so, girl. Yeah. Okay. So, well, he's okay. not ready. <clears throat> no. Mm -mm. No. Well, I'm glad you left. He's you... fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So Danielle's, well, I mean, I'm just going to say it. Danielle's big experience that a lot of listeners probably know about is that Danielle was on The Bachelor and yeah. Danielle gets, I've been with her when people ask a million questions. Sometimes <laughs> I am guilty of this, asking her a million questions, but I think that that's like a great uh, a great kind of starting point to just dive into Danielle's dating history. Oh, Lord. Knowing what you know about relationships, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the show, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, but do you have any thoughts on actually finding love in a such in a, like in a setting like that? <laughs> uh, well, I've watched it. Uh, I'm going to have to apologize. I haven't watched it very often, uh, but it fascinated me uh, because I'm fascinated with people. You can find love anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's a brain system. I mean, it can be triggered from just letters. It's a brain system like the fear system or the anger system. It can be triggered instantly. You don't even have to know the person. So, I mean, I think the bachelor and the bachelorette, you know, puts a lot of pressure on you. I mean, you can see all your competition right in front of you. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, the show is designed for him to pick somebody. So you got to right up front and they're all good looking for Christ's sakes, you know, I mean, <laughs> and they're all, uh, want to win et, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say that it's a, you know, I'm an anthropologist for millions of years. Women have been competing in order to get the right guy. Men have been competing to get the right girl. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is why people watch this kind of program. You know, it's, they've been there. We've all been there. Wow. But it's not on in Technicolor with all beautiful people. On the other hand, there's something realistic about it. I, I love reality TV because it's real people. But you do have a lot of pressure of everybody watching. It's a little bit like, you know, OK, we're the, the watchers, right? I, you know, we're watching and we're not just watching you. 
we're trying to pick up tips about ourselves. Oh, wow, I wouldn't have done that. And oh, wow, why did she say that? And oh, that was really cool. That was a good idea. And it's like sitting around the campfire. I now can then talk about all this with my girlfriends. You know, it's no longer about you guys on the tube. It's about what does my girlfriend think of that particular cute girl, Danielle, with nice blonde hair? Well, what, wasn't that a cool thing that Jackie said? You know, so it's a way for us to share our worlds because wow. we're not in a little hunting and gathering group. I mean, so my best girlfriends live in New York, a lot of them, but they don't live next door. I don't see them every day, but we get on the, we watch the bachelor together and we uh, can share our mm-hmm. thoughts about ourselves and what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. So these programs can be very useful for us, for you. I would regard it as an awful lot of stress. A lot of stress. That's really, I didn't think of it from from the watcher's standpoint. And even though like I watch the show now, um, I look at it from a production standpoint, like what are they doing and like manipulating the contestants into. But I honestly, until you just said that, didn't think of it from a viewer's standpoint on how they're taking these conversations and maybe dating missteps or, you know, things that people are saying into their real life. Yeah. We're busy thinking about ourselves. I mean, you know, we're trying to win the mating partner mm-hmm. and any tips we can get. And I mean, so we get to watch uh, other people make mistakes and and get disappointed. Oh, my God. Well, what was it like? I mean, I, I, I don't want to be another voyeur here, but it was were you chosen. The- <laughs> I don't even know what no, you were chosen. No. Danielle's NDA is officially out of contract, just FYI, oh, yeah. so she can spill <laughs> the tea for us, Dr. I, I, can, I can say anything. It's one of the... Gr- coolest experiences that I've ever that I've ever done um it's also a very not traumatic it wasn't traumatic for me I had a very lovely edit I'm not mad about anything there I mean you can only edit really what they give you and I was like I've got to go home and take care of a NICU baby so I can't make an ass of myself on TV so but it's I remember asking because we would have check-ins with the psychologist on the on the show, thinking, am I part of a long-term sociological study? Are you studying the effects of <laughs> falling in love on TV? All the different things these women are going through. Is this some triple blind secret study of of humans and love? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, that's exactly what you would say, but. <laughs> It's so, Would you be upset if they didn't, if they were studying it? No, no, I uh-huh. think it's, fa- I think it's fascinating. But they should tell you, you know, I think but, they should yeah. tell you. Yeah, but it's also designed around falling in love in the most perfect setting. It, well, perfect being a loose term. You don't have anything to think about. All of your needs are met. You don't have to worry about food. You want a chocolate pie at midnight, they're going to go make you or get you a chocolate pie. You don't have to worry about money. You don't ha- you're getting flown around the world. You're getting sent on these extravagant dates. You don't have a phone. You don't have TV. You barely have a working clock. They have, there's no music, no, no nothing. Everything. Can is, you read like any books or newspaper or anything? Yeah. Um, I mean, like I would hide away and journal a lot or, or read and they'd be like, where's Danielle? We've got to find her again. She's hiding. But you you can do that. But but obviously they want you on camera. They're trying to make an 
eight, ten episode long show. Like they need they need footage. So it's really it's designed around taking away all of your needs that you would normally have. You might be worried, oh my God, do I have enough money to take this awesome person out on a date that I really want to hang out with? Are they gonna like me? You know, you have real it they always said the real relationship doesn't start until the cameras turn off. Right. So. That's right. I'm not sure the real, I mean, relationships evolve. I mean, months in, years in, mm-hmm. decades in. It's amazing how, um, but that that basic chemistry can happen mm-hmm. anytime. It's a very artificial setting, no question about it. Dating is, is anxiety making under, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we've, I and my colleagues have, put over hundred people into a brain scanner and studied the brain circuitry of romantic love. And one of the brain regions that's a scanner. Uh, Oh, that'd be fine. I volunteered. (laughs) You got to be in love. Oh, not yet. I love myself. Or attached. She she hasn't met Justin yet. Remember? (laughs) Justin is cool. I'm not joking you. Justin is cool. I am not kidding either. We're going to make, I mean, I don't know if you're going to find him good looking enough, but you'll end up finding him good looking enough. Or at least I, I mean, I'm 40 years older, so quite sick, but you know, but, but, uh, but uh, he's very, very smart. And And like you mentioned, that's important. Now people are really evolving to recognize that. So, and he's very charming, 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 and socially skilled. I mean, I, I like a man who's socially skilled. I lived for years with two men. One of them was socially skilled, but he was a hermit. And the other was completely hopeless, but at, 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 at anything social, but he was a brilliant man, <laughs> you know. But now I got one that's socially skilled, and it's amazing to be able to walk into a party and count on somebody, mm-hmm. you know, to manage to work the room properly. To I just love being the sidekick instead of the center of attention that has to cope mm-hmm. with it all, you know. And and that's just a well, very cool. Uh, does he have social media? I'll look him up <laughs> after the podcast. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. He's he, he does a lot of TV and radio and podcasts. And he's the director of the Kinsey Institute. He's probably the youngest by 30 years of anybody who's the director. Wow. He's published a lot of it. He studies sex and love, too, with me. So, uh, you know. I was going to say, he's probably an expert, Danielle. <laughs> You know, we're all experts at part of it. <laughs> you can never tell, you know, I mean, we're all. So anyway, so uh, other than The Bachelor, I mean, have you had uh, any long-term sweetheart? Yeah, I was uh, engaged when I was 25 and um, my fiance tragically passed away from a drug overdose. So about, um, 10 years ago, I've had. That's a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a big disaster. Yeah. I mean, that's as big as you can get. What a shame. Yeah. Oh, what a shame. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, yeah. I really do. But it's weird the kind of, I, I really like your term post-traumatic growth because yeah. over the last you know 10 years, actually almost 11 years, it's, it's like that person that I was when I was 25 is not the person I am now. The person I would have gone for at 25 is not the person I want to date at 36. So I really love that term. That really kind of opens up 
opens up more space for growth, less guilt over, you know, who you are, what you've done or who you've dated in the past. That's, that's a special term. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I do too. I was really excited about it. And we've got all this data to prove it. And what's interesting is, I don't know if you've, you know, I've, I've written an academic article and talked a lot about what I call slow love. And the fact that uh, Mm. your generation is introducing more and more of this concept of slow love, you know, in, in my day, I mean, I don't know, a long time ago, people married in their early twenties. Now we're marrying in our late twenties or even our Mm thirties. And this long period of what I call the pre-commitment stage of a, of a relationship, we're learning more and more about ourselves. This is what I love millennials. They're learning more and more about, they're determined to learn about themselves. Uh, in, fact, in fact, 40% of people in your age group say before they get into a, a relationship, 40% want self-acceptance before mm. they get into a relationship with somebody else. That's a grown-up. I mean, understanding more about yourself. And what we're doing is you're marrying later and later. And... Uh, I have data from 80 cultures. This is not through Match, but my other work. And the longer you court and the later you marry, the more likely you are to stay together. So the guy that you find, Danielle, will probably be a long-term partner. I honestly think that millennials, because they're so careful and so picky and so busy trying to put themselves together, their careers, their finances, their health, uh, it's a, they're so busy getting rid of what they don't want and focusing on what they do and getting into serious relationships much later. You guys are going to usher in, I think, a, a few decades of relative family stability because wow. of this mm-hmm. slow love. So and I think, Danielle, you're a perfect example of that. Jackie, do you have a boyfriend or a married or? Yes, I have a husband, actually. You have a husband. So, mm-hmm. Okay. So it is interesting. Um you know, thinking about all these different relationship things. And, you know, I think every relationship has definitely been put to the test through this pandemic. And yeah, but I love that concept of slow love, because I think you're right. I think a lot of millennials um, can appreciate that. And it makes me think of another term called like, I'm sure you've heard like conscious partnering and conscious parenting, um, something that I think is becoming more common now with this like carefulness of really trying to make decisions to make sure that you are partnering with someone that you want to build a family with and really taking those, taking that time to like, make sure, right. I love that concept. I love that idea of slow love. Like we talk about slow travel and slow fashion and, you know, all of these different um, (laughs) terms that I never thought to, to think about that in terms of love. But I definitely think that that is so true to the younger generations and, and, and coming out of the pandemic to everyone. We, yeah, didn't have, I, we didn't really have an option to to do anything else but slow love. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's exactly, you know, I used to say it was uh, slow love, fast sex. And now it's just slow love. You know, when we asked, um, you know, as this year in our Singles in America study with Match, uh, you know, uh, do you, um, is sex more important, just as important or less important? And over 81% said it was less important now than it was. And that it's, it's much less important than forming a real solid bond with somebody. And, you know, people are surprised at that because they figured, oh, 
you know, the, a lot of the press called me and said, oh, we're going to have this slutty summer and everybody's going to race out and, you know, like rabbits. And, and um, we're all I never thought it's safe. <laughs> exactly. Not true. It just was not true. And in fact, singles are more vaccinated than the general population. 73% of singles today are vaxxed. And, wow, and was, 73. Yeah. Amazing. And only, yeah. And, and one, I mean, one of the reasons is it, it's a ticket to romance. Mm-hmm. I mean, who's going to go kissing somebody who's not vaxxed? Um, oh, my God. The first time I kissed somebody post, like, well, I can't even say post-pandemic yet. I, I, I keep wanting to say post-pandemic. But the first time that I kissed someone after, you know, being vaccinated and I was like I had a little bit of a panic I'm like oh my god I'm gonna get sick I had someone yeah. else's mouth on my mouth <laughs> I have to go I have goes and gets a COVID test <laughs> yeah you know over 50 percent of singles will not um have sex with somebody who's not vaxxed over 50 percent will not okay. start a romance uh and over 50 percent won't even go out on a first date wow and 48 percent of singles today believe that somebody's not vaccinated is self selfish and check my drop on that one. If that's not a PSA to singles wanting to find someone, I don't know what is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you guys as nurses, I mean, everybody gets it, but uh, when we ask, you know, what is important to you today? And we ask, you know, about values and things. Uh, 58% um, said that the most important thing in a partner is that that person is vaxxed. Um, much more than what their political affiliation is, how they feel about Black Lives Matter, uh, how they be- feel about LGBTQ, whether a religion is important, uh, ethnicity, it's whether they are vaxxed for obvious reasons. Yeah. You know, you kiss somebody who's a different political party, it's not going to kill you. Yeah, right. you know, <laughs> or, or you your kiss family. someone yeah. who d- doesn't isn't vaccinated, but that has got to be kill you or someone that you care about. Totally yeah. fascinating for you who has studied this for so long, and to have this pandemic and change the the face of how people are going towards love. Like vaccination status wasn't even an option two years ago, and now it's the biggest reason. It's the the, one. the driving factor, number one reason. If you're not vaccinated, we're not hanging out. Yeah, exactly. And a few years ago, because, you know, we've done this Singles in America study for 11 years. A few years ago, it was politics. When Trump was in office, it was politics. I believe that. Yeah. And now that's reduced and Mm -hmm. it's been big. And that's what you know what? In all the years I I wrote the beginning of our press release and I ended up saying it's a I can't remember the words exactly, but it's a historic. This is this post-traumatic growth is historic. Wow. I mean, yeah. since when has a planet been shut down? Since when have we all been either at home or essential workers, which you guys have been, uh, uh, and working under tremendous stress? And no wonder we've grown up. I mean, it's amazing how, I mean, men, I mean, I think I said this, but what, fifty before this pandemic, 55% of men wanted a partner who wanted to marry. Now, 77% of men want a partner who wants to marry. I mean, you know, I mean, I I mean, it's amazing how this has changed. It's changed the human animal. It really is. It's a good time to be single, it sounds like. It's a good time to be anything, I think. Yeah, Um, as long as you're in a happy marriage, you know. And I think with married people, I mean, I wasn't, uh, I only got married last summer, but well, summer before this one, but, a little more than a year ago. So we did the whole 
you know, pandemic together, but we're both writers. So it really wasn't a hardship. Uh, and of course, as an anthropologist, I was fascinated. I mean, I live in New York. I could walk down the center of, of Fifth Avenue and nothing came by except a bus every 15 minutes. And it was, wow. it was, you know, it was a very sad time, of course, but, um, but yes, we've grown up. I just love the fact that you guys really like that term post-traumatic growth, historic I historic leap in post-traumatic growth. Yeah, it definitely resonates. And I think it'll resonate with a lot of people. I wanted to, if I can ask, Danielle yeah. and I have had a lot of conversations. So primarily our community here is a lot of healthcare workers. That's yeah. where I was going. And she always knows. She always knows. We re we know each other. Yeah, yeah. Even across the country, I know what you're thinking, Danielle. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, our community is a lot of healthcare workers. And Danielle and I have had ad nauseum conversations about the partners that healthcare workers are drawn to and mm -hmm. how we can exhibit certain tendencies to want to fix things and heal things. That's why we go into the professions that we go into. And I'm just curious if you have any, any further insight yeah, on you any, you know, profession wise, like what, are there certain trends? Are there things that we should look out for? Are there certain partners that Danielle should be maybe like yeah. not going for? <laughs> Right. Well, this is a really musicians first of all, down on Broadway. <laughs> no, I don't think you want uh, musicians no, on Broadway. And this person is also a poet and a and a philanthropist and a, oh my God, anyway, you got to be so careful. Well. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful of um, being such a caretaker that you you mm -hmm. pick people who need to be taken care of. I mean, yeah. we all need to a certain extent to be vigilant of our partners' problems. But the bottom line is, you see that all day. You you want somebody who can care for you, you know you really do. So you're both very you're both very high on the estrogen scale, nurturing, caring, trusting, compassionate, uh, people skills, good at reading posture, gesture, tone of voice, seeing the big picture. You're probably well. All of my data shows you're going to be drawn to somebody who's very high testosterone. So somebody who's analytical, logical, direct, decisive. And, you know, they always say that nurses are attracted to doctors. Well, I understand why. Mm. There's an awful lot of doctors mm. who are not as compassionate, but are very skilled at healing. You know, mm. I mean, uh, but they, I mean, I lived with a doctor for years and he was a pathologist. So he, you know, he, he, he was the doctor's doctor. So, but the bottom line is, I would imagine doctors, uh, lawyers, uh, people who are analytical, logical, direct, decisive, much more tough-minded. You guys are not going to be tough-minded. And so, and I am not tough-minded. And it's so useful to be with a man who's tough-minded, who says, but Helen, why didn't you tell her that? Why didn't you do that? You know, how, you know, uh, so you want somebody who's, who's somewhat tough-minded, somebody who's analytical, somebody who's logical. And, and they're going to be interested in medicine. I mean, you guys are good at knowing the basic biology. It's nice to have somebody who shares that with you. So maybe yeah. a PhD in anatomy, maybe a PhD in, in physiology, maybe a PhD in, well, how about Justin Garcia, PhD in, in, uh, in biology, anthropology, and, and love. So somebody who is not going into a hospital every day and dealing with the sick. I think you need to get away from that in your spare time. Yeah. And somebody who is very 
good at caring for themselves so that you don't get into the, the caring role at home. I mean, you'll have enough to do when you have the babies. You don't want to do it with your husband, too. I mean, I have a man who goes to a doctor much more than I do. And oh, he had a toenail fall off. I couldn't even watch it. I, but I am not a nurse. I just value you. I couldn't even go into the bathroom and watch. <laughs> but he handled it. You want somebody who can handle the things so that you don't have to be a nurse in your spare time. But you want somebody yeah. who's intelligent. And people in the music business, I mean, they live a different lifestyle. Completely different. You know, and style. you want somebody who has, I mean, you want somebody who has your lifestyle, who goes to work at a certain time, comes home at, a, at some sort of certain time, has time off, is able to to take the time off and be with you and care for you. You spend mm-hmm. all day caring for people. You want somebody who can care for you. Which is hard for nurses to accept too. Because, Isn't that the truth? Yes. Yeah. Because we're so conditioned to take care of everything that it's really difficult for us to step back into that role of yeah. being the one who's being cared for. Well, you're going to find somebody who does it naturally. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. uh, and you'll learn, I mean, uh, you'll learn. I mean, it was interesting. I, I uh, sprained my ankle in the woods and, oh, my guy was so great about it. He just was so great. I mean, he carried me for a while and, you know, we got crutches and, you know, I mean, he was really a lovely guy. And so try spraining your ankle. <laughs> See, See, what he does. See what he does for you. That's the test. Inflict physical harm on oneself. <laughs> Just you know kidding. That reminds Just me kidding. of a very funny story that I'm going to share very briefly about exactly that. And it was when I was in, uh, working in the hospital as a nurse. And I was, this was a long time ago when I was dating. And this, this guy that I was dating, I had gotten sick from one of my patients and was like, just like the flu or some cold or whatever. And he texted me and he said, Hey, like, I know you're sick. Can I bring over some soup for you? And I was Mm. like, wow, that is so thoughtful and so sweet. So he brought over the soup and then he called me and said, Hey, like I left it downstairs, but I'm going to head out. And I was like, Oh, why don't you come up and just like say hi. And he's like, Oh, well you're sick. Right. And I was like, for me, it was like a total deal breaker because I'm like, dude, like, I see sick people all day. Like I'm, I'm not like over here, like coughing up a lung. This was before COVID. Like (laughs) we didn't think that things really spread that easily back then. And it really turned me off. I was like, wow, you can't even just like, come, come like, you know, give me a little kiss on the forehead or something. And it's funny because I think that's, that brings up a really good point that just in general, people that are in healthcare, taking care of people all day, it's really nice to find a partner that can kind of just like put on some bootstraps every once in a while. And just kind of take care of themselves yeah. and and be a caretaker in some of those situations because yeah. we don't want to have to take care of people all the time. No, that's right. Well, you're going to go for yeah. the more high testosterone. They're going to be more techie. Uh, they're going to be logical. They're going to be more tough-minded, which you really need, I would guess. Oh, because we Because you're yeah. so mm-hmm. tender-hearted. I mean, I cry at a parade. It's just disgusting. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I couldn't even do what you two do for a living. But uh yeah, you, and, and you're going to find that. I mean, many more men are, are high testosterone than women, and they're going to be more. You guys are probably pretty technically skilled. Uh, but uh, but anyway, I, I just want to say this about relationships, because you guys are both nurses and positive relations are really good for your health. They apparently lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol and cortisol really sustain memory and mood and mental agility. When you get hugs from somebody, it drives up the oxytocin system, gives you calm and feelings of attachment. When you laugh with somebody, it drives up the dopamine system, which gives you energy 
and focus and optimism and motivation. It boosts the immune system, boosts the endorphins, raises the pain threshold. And when you play with somebody, it actually stimulates brain growth in brain regions linked with decision-making and planning and um, et cetera. So it's really worthwhile to find the right partnership. And you guys as nurses, you know, I mean, you're always, you clearly have to think all about people's physical needs, but I'm sure you're both also aware of their emotional needs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, that means, you know, letting in their beloved uh, into the room at some times and, and help them to, you know, hold their hand, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, all of those emotional needs are really essential for for good health and there was a new process a a new uh, academic article that came out a couple months ago that proved that um, when you're in a good pair bond and a good partnership it actually even slows slows down the the aging process and you live longer so danielle get on get on to it wow me justin and everybody else it's good for your health (laughs) it's good for your health the key to a long long and healthy life is yep. love. Yep. Oh, that's love. lovely to say. Oh, Jackie, you mind if I borrow that line? Dr. Fisher, it is all you. You can, you can <laughs> take, definitely take that line because Danielle and I are, have like stolen 10 of your lines already today. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> well, spread them around the world. Yes, we will. Thank you so much for joining us today. Is there anything coming up for you that you wanted to promote or, um, or let people know where they can find you? Any resources or well certainly all my books my most recent book is anatomy of love second edition but uh also oh i just got myself a new website helenfisher.com it's glorious yeah it is a beautiful thank you oh thank you oh i'm gonna go tell my guy oh thank you and uh, also the other website the anatomy of love which i did with my brain scanning partner and that's a real uh teaching website and you can take my personality questionnaire on that and okay that's of, where i can find the personality absolutely or we'll, put a, we'll put a link in the show notes for people to take their their personality test yeah that would be great and you can also get it in, in my books so um which are well, whatever anyway well thank you you guys really smart girls danielle oh, you're gonna you. find them Jackie, oh. I'm assuming that it's a good partnership. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Good. Very good. Yes, we are. We are good. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Fisher. Great. Well, thank you. And have a good day. You too. Have fun partying with your girlfriends. I am. I'm <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> Can't wait. See you. <laughs> All right, y'all. Do you see why we are so obsessed? Do you see why Jack and I are like, we need to hang out with her. We want to brunch with her. We want to day drink with her. She is the coolest. So major, major thank you to Dr. Helen Fisher for your wealth of knowledge on like the science of dating. So, so freaking cool. I hope y'all loved it. So if you liked what you heard, make sure to share the podcast, follow it along on whatever platform you listen, just so you never miss an episode. Y'all, Jack and I love you. So if no one else tells you I love you on Valentine's, Galentine's, Brontine's Day this year, Jack and I love you. On that note, WOMED 